Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and today, no Jonathan Pritchett. Today, I have my good friend Tyler. Okay, Tyler Vella. Is that right? Yeah, you got it. Uh, excellent. I said yeah. it wrong for years. And that's because Tyler and I have known each other for years. I'm going to let him say a few things about himself and about his own channel in just a moment. But I want to say, first of all, that uh, Tyler has a special place in my heart because we disagree very strongly on a very important secondary. It is secondary and it is important. Those things can both be true. Uh, We both, as far as I know, think of each other as brothers. Uh, But the difference is we differ strongly on the issue of soteriology and generally how it is that uh, what's the nature of human freedom, basically, from a biblical worldview. And so uh, we differ on that. He's Calvinist. I'm not. But um, at the same time, we find ourselves shoulder to shoulder in responding to skeptics and unbelievers on the Internet. And that's where we, of course, have more in common than than we do uh, different. So um, we started a few years ago, Tyler, uh, Leighton Flowers contacted me, and I think Owen, somebody in, contacted you. Yeah. What was his name? Owen Parr, Owen, maybe? Owen Pond. Okay. And yeah. uh, they wanted to put together a series of debates on Calvinism, and we did two of those. We did Total Depravity and Unconditional Election, and those are available on a playlist on this channel at, at uh, youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter and also at braxtonhunter.com slash debates. You can check those out. And um, you anything you want to say about those interactions, Tyler? No, that's where we, I think we had like talked a little bit before. That was the first time we actually like interacted and, uh, you know, debated about anything. So yeah. I was giving you the opportunity to say that you really creamed me in those debates. But well, I anyway, mean, anyone who watches it's going to see that. So they'll, they'll, they'll see what happened. Let's just say they'll see what happened. <laughs> um, uh, but I do want to brag on your debating ability because I am proud to have debated you because you are an excellent debater. Um, one of the best debaters I know, um, and that is its own skill set uh, over and above systematic theology or anything else. And so uh, your debate, you've had several really great debates. One we'll probably mention a little bit is your debate with Dillahunty. You did a debate with Arnon Raw. I thought that you did the best job against T-Jump, Tom Jump, of anybody that I've seen debate T-Jump. And that's saying a lot because I have some other friends who've debated him, but I just thought your debate really stands out. So anyway, at this point, Tyler, why don't you say some things about yourself, your ministry, your podcast, and it's a great podcast. Um, I want to listen to the one you just did on the Dunning-Kruger effect, but you go ahead and say a few things to let us know who you are. Uh, yeah, so uh, I uh, run the the ministry, the Freed Thinker podcast and blog and YouTube channel now, Um a couple of years ago, I started the YouTube channel, but didn't actually put a lot of stuff on it. And I've been trying to ramp it up lately. Um, so uh, and diversify it a little bit because I have some I'm like you. I have some some uh, wide entrance all within kind of the, the realm of Christian theology and apologetics. Um, and so I, I realized that my podcast, which started as a lot of apologetics, and then as I was working on my uh, master's in biblical study, kind of turned into, uh, you know, discussions about in-house things um a lot of atheists kind of checked out because i was talking about things having to do with like reformed theology and so i you know i decided uh, a little while ago that the 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 youtube channel will be dedicated to uh, apologetics uh, and apologetical issues um while the um while the podcast would still be where like you know in-house discussions uh would go so um i do that um good 
Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say for anybody watching, and you may be seeing this too, Tyler, you're freezing occasionally, but your audio is perfectly fine, so I'm not going to worry about it. Just so okay. everybody knows. Yeah, I, yeah I, am, I am seeing the video kind of mess up, but that's all right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up as, uh, an, as an atheist in a totally secular home um, in a wildly unchurched area uh, up in Santa Cruz, California, surrounded by more hippies than churches. Yeah, in godless um, so, California. Yeah, in godless California, up in Northern California, that, that, that you know, the deepest blue of blue, um, you know, in the shadow of Berkeley and San Francisco. So In the um, fictional Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that, that it, it, and, it, and it's fun growing up that way and, and being in these conversations, because whenever someone's like, oh, you know, Christians are just indoctrinated. It's like, I mean, really did like my unbelieving parents and stuff like in me to, to believe <laughs> I, I, when did that happen? See, you bring, you bring up a really funny point, which I just realized this morning, someone else put it on uh, maybe the capturing Christianity Facebook group that, um, see, I don't have one of those cool, I was raised by unbelievers, uh, sort of testimonies, or I was an atheist and I became a Christian because I just had to research the evidence and all. I don't, I don't have anything like that. But I was an infant once, and according to some atheists, infants are atheists. And so I do have an incredible testimony as a former atheist. That's true. There you go. There you go. You 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 can say you were you were a crying, screaming, uh, you know, addicted to the bottle. You were addicted to the bottle atheist. Yes, yes, that's right. And so depraved, I would run around naked all the time. It was right, man. You would just like throw up on people and just messed up. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, yeah, Tyler. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm one of those people that I don't, I don't like the, the, um, you know, like the, the, not that you're doing this, but I don't like like the testimony envy. Like I look at your life and I'm like, man, what a blessing that is to have like grown up in a, like to have grown up in a Christian home and to never have not known the Lord. Like, what would that be like? You know? So, uh, pretty great. I, you know, I, I like it. I like it. You know, God, God works amazing things in, in, in all types of situations. Uh, but you know, my, my first memory becoming a Christian was, uh, was realizing I didn't know what the Christmas carols were about. So I was 20 years old and I was like, Oh, that's what the Christmas carols are about when I first became a Christian. So it's, for real? it's just, always, wow. yeah, for real. No clue. No clue. Who got you first, the Armenians or the Calvinists? Uh, neither. It was actually um, uh, Dan Kimball, um, who a lot of people know as kind of a, uh, he's part of like the emergent church a little bit, um, oh, although yeah. he's he's gone actually more towards uh, Reformed Presbyterian now. Um, but then he was he was uh, kind of an early uh, into the emergent church. Uh, and he was actually the, he was the college pastor at Chip Ingram's church in Santa Cruz Bible before Chip Ingram went to the East Coast. Um, and so it was actually out of that ministry that I first heard the gospel and, and uh, Lord got a hold of me. So, Awesome. Okay, so uh, part of the reason we're on together today is we have both realized something. And that is that particularly probably what led us both, well, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, in preparing to debate Matt Dillahunty, I began to recognize that to... And, and you may be hitting on something a little bit nuanced from this, but the thing that I noticed was an inability to provide me any explanation that would falsify his epistemology, let's say. And I've done videos on this. And by the way, in case you don't know this, Tyler, I just did a video on this 
there was a short video like two months ago and I was as straightforward and deadpan mm-hmm. and emotionless as I could be. And yet I had a bunch of people upset with it and they weren't upset in the sense that they, I said anything wrong. In fact, they were defending uh, the atheist position as I presented it. Um, right. And so, but, but we noticed this because what I've seen is, and this maybe just to be the way to segue in is when I was preparing for the debate with Matt, I noticed, okay, he says he wants a demonstration. You got to demonstrate, uh, you got to demonstrate the existence of God or demonstrate the supernatural. I say, okay, well, what, what would count for a demonstration? A thousand people have asked him this. And the response is, well, um, I don't know what would count as a demonstration, but I know that if there is a God, he would have done that for me or he could do that for me okay. and he hasn't done that for me. So either he doesn't exist or it's on him. Now, on the other end of this, and this is a piece of it that I've stopped mentioning as much because I don't think it resonates with people like it does for me. Maybe you'll pick up on why I say this. They grant, and I, I don't think you're where I am on this as a presuppositionalist, but um, they, they grant that they don't think you can have Cartesian certainty, like absolute, mm-hmm. impossible to doubt certainty about anything. Even with Matt Dillahunty, I mean, like you go to Cosmic Skeptic, he'll say something like, well, I think I can know that I exist. Matt Dillahunty is, no, I don't even think I can know that I exist because that requires that I'm trusting my reasoning skills and how could I know that I could trust my reasoning skills? So I don't believe I can know anything with that level of certainty. Okay, so what you're telling me is I have permission as a Christian apologist not to give you Cartesian certainty because I can't and you grant that I can't right. and nobody can on anything. But, so that means I can't go all the way to the all the way to the top here. Where's my camera? I can't go all the way to the top in terms of certainty and evidence. But you're telling me I have to get past some arbitrary point. But as long as I, I'm, we agree I don't have to go all the way to the top, and I don't know where that arbitrary point is, then you can all, that leaves you permission, whether this was by design or intent or, or unintentional, you then are able to sit back and whatever I give you, no matter how much evidence, well, that doesn't count as a demonstration. Why? Because it doesn't convince me. And convincing right. me becomes the target of the debate, which will never happen for the exact same reasons, just loop it back around and start again. Is that kind of where you're at? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, I'm a, a presuppositionalist, uh, somewhat modified though. Uh, I, 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 I always say I'm, I'm philosophically and theologically a presuppositionalist, but methodologically, eh, I'm not quite where where a bunch of my my fellow uh, presuppers are. Um, so I, I'm with you. I, I think there's very few things that we can have Cartesian certainty about. Uh, I'm one of those presuppositionalists that I'm fine using arguments and evidence. I just use it within a presuppositional framework. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think you're, I think you're dead on exactly right. That, that part of the problem is it. So the way that I put it is that the issue, it's not a disagreement about facts um, that they're not, there's no, you could present all the facts in the world and they, and Matt Dillahunty could concede all of your facts, um, that you're presenting his argument. The problem for him is exactly what you've said is that no facts are going to, are going to filter through his worldview in such a way that it's going to get him to any type of convinced, right? Because he now becomes, you're exactly right. He becomes the measure of what is good evidence. And that measure is, am I convinced by it? So, so really it's this kind of radical, radical, skeptical incredulity that you have to try to somehow overcome with evidence that will never be enough evidence. 
or never the yeah. right kind of evidence or can always be explained differently. Yeah. And then, and I, I know I've said this so many times on this channel that people are sick of hearing me say it, but it's principally the thing that I prevented in presented in the video that I was referencing and nobody challenged. They agreed and said, of course that's right. And that is to say, not only all that we've just said, but if you, if you point to things that these individuals have said would not convince them and you realize how extreme those things are. Okay. So let's just go ahead and say, all right, you want extraordinary evidence. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Great. That's fantastic. Whatever. I know there's a lot of apologists that want to challenge that. And I know there's good reasons to do that, but let's just set that aside for a minute. All right. Yeah. So it's going to take something extraordinary. How about someone parting an ocean in Jesus name? Like Matt Slick asked Matt Dillahunty about and Matt Dillahunty quickly said, no, I would not believe something supernatural happened. I think Matt asked him, would you believe something supernatural happened? No. Well, what would it take? I don't know what it would take. All right. If, if you're looking for extreme evidence and or, or uh, exceptional evidence or whatever, um, and that doesn't count, what you're not only telling me you haven't given it to me yet, you're almost telling me don't even try. That's how shut off I am. Now, I know for atheists out there, they want to say, well, no, 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 no. There's reasons because... For example, uh, 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 an alien race could have done this or some super advanced um, trick from some other country or something could have done this. Okay, yeah, technically that's true. And that would be a naturalistic explanation. So in their minds, that wins. And in my mind, yeah. you, I'm just hearing you say, don't even try because there's nothing you could conceivably give me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, one that, the one that I've given is if all of the stars rearrange in the sky and say like, you know, Matt, I am God, repent and believe. That's the one that I gave in my debate. And he was like, I mean, it'd be evidence in the sense that like, it might go that direction. And then I was like, okay, so then would, you know, would that be reason to believe? And he'd be like, and he's like, well, no, because it could be. And I was like, okay, so you, you have all of these, you have all of these built in features that insulate your, your, your position from being falsified. Because as you said, basically any naturalistic competing explanation just for them is intrinsically more plausible, right? So it could be, it could be alien pranksters. It could be quantum weirdness or what, you know, what I told you before, it, what I, what I call the, you know, the naturalistic appeal to mystery, it could be this. And this is uh, not Steven Pinker. Um, who's the, the philosopher that um, oh, I can't remember his name. Uh, he was on unbelievable. He's always the one that says, you know, religion is the, that's the lazy answer. That, uh, I can't great, remember his name. Moppy? No, no, definitely not Grandma P. Uh, it'll come to me later. Um, so uh, he, he uh, they're, they're always are going to say something like, um, well, the intellectually honest answer, right? Because, you, 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 you know, you've got to gaslight a little bit. The intellectually honest answer that we're giving is, I don't know, but science will hopefully figure it out one day. Right. So so even if you have all this evidence, even if you have the stars rearranging, all that kind of stuff, you know, all, all you know, rearranging. Well, it could, you know, our minds could just be pattern forming machines. We just we just see the message in the stars in the same way that we see, you know, Taurus or Orion or whatever. It doesn't actually mean that 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 even though it looks like it says, you know, Matt, I am God, repent and believe. Well, our minds are just pattern forming machines. Right. So um, you, you have all of these things that insulate the, the worldview from ever being falsified. So the, the way that it's set up, nothing would actually ever convince Matt. So even if he agrees, even if the stars did rearrange, we all say, OK, we all agree on the fact that the stars rearranged. He's going to filter that through his worldview 
in such a way that it would never actually be evidence that would be reasonable for belief in God. So then he comes back and says to what your point was, was, well, if God existed, he knew, he knows what would convince me. Right. So, okay. So then what may convince you if it's not facts, because no fact is ever going to rise to that level, then what may convince you is probably something like a religious experience or some tragedy or something like that. But then you're back to saying, well, then the only thing that God could use to get you to believe would be look to the trees, look to my experience, <laughs> which you categorically say is a terrible reason for Christians to believe. Uh, yeah. So, um, but, but, but you're, but you're really, that's the only then type of thing that you're saying that you're implicitly saying could ever convince you, but it's the very thing that you mock Christians. I, I mean, we don't even really say that, at least not any apologists. That's not what our arguments actually are. But if they were, you're, that's what you're mocking. Um, so it's it's this really jumbled, inconsistent way to, to insulate his view from ever being falsified. Yeah, we actually have. Uh, so it's funny that I'm wearing one today. We have these T-shirts at Trinity Radio on Teespring. This one's Pritchett. It says, that's enough pseudo-intellectual blather. Um, we have one that says that's enough pseudo pious blather for the, for the, for the, uh, theological debates. But, um, we have another one that has me and it says, look at the trees. And the reason is because we actually think that trees have great evidence of design. So, (laughs) yeah, well, well, and, and to be fair, the difference is though, and and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, maybe this isn't the argument you're making, but I, I would think that you and Pritchett, when, when you're making those arguments, you're making some type of design inference type of, of course. it's not, it's not merely a, I'm awestruck by the beauty. It has to be God right now. Right. There may be some type of aesthetic argument, right? But those are actually philosophically robust arguments. It's not merely this, this beautiful impression of the trees that's not the basis of what those types of arguments that's right are. yeah it's no it's it's if we dig under the surface like literally of the trees we start to see evidence of design that goes further why is this why is this living uh entity even able to be here this tree you know why why is the universe life permitting it goes back to the typical design arguments that you get but uh but yeah it's it, now i have had i have had and this i'm not offering this as evidence I'm just offering this as personal biographical information mm-hmm. that there are times when I'm driving along and perhaps I'm thinking about atheistic arguments and, I, and I'm thinking about the balance of evidence on either side or whatever, that there are moments where I say, yeah, but it's just a little too perfect. Like my hands grip things, my mouth eats and breathes and talks. And these are some of my favorite things to do is eat and breathe and talk. And I mean, I just, I just have all the, it's just all a little too perfect. Now, obviously the counter side to that is just to throw up all the horrible things about reality and end up with yeah. an argument from evil or an argument from poor design or whatever else. But I have to say that impression is there, but yes, um, when we, when we go to, that's for me, that's, that's internal stuff for me. Yeah. When we go to present things to, to outsiders, unbelievers, well, we want to use apologetic type stuff. Now, yeah. obviously as a presuppositionalist, you might actually frame that up a little bit differently. And there's something you said about presuppositionalism a moment ago that I wanted to get back to, which is, I think I affirm presuppositionalism in the way that thinking about it in that I think it makes sense. I think it is true ultimately. And I think, um, that the argument that typically goes along with it, one of the tag family of tag arguments, I think are actually correct. I, the, 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 where it's, it's, I think the difference between me and your standard presup is, um, 
in thinking that's all that convincing necessarily, but that's a whole other show. But I actually agree with uh, the reasoning behind a precept precept position. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I've done a couple argument or a couple articles showing that um, I, I think anyone who's a, who's a, who's a classical theist, but definitely who's a Christian is, you know, and I stole this from, from our friend Stratton is, is a mere presuppositionalist. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure how you could be a Christian who think God is the first cause of everything and grounds everything and not think that God is the necessary precondition for rationality and the laws of law. I don't know how you could avoid that. Um, and I show from people like William Lane Craig and his argument from intentionality that those are, those just are presuppositional arguments. Well, um, in a certain sense, the moral argument is a transcendental yep, argument. Yep. The moral argument is absolutely a transcendental argument. Um, and so, and so there, you know, I, I've, I've regularly pointed this out. Um, and, and I, and I'm actually, I've actually been very happy with, with, the reception of exactly what you said, where a lot of people are like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, when it comes to like the, the theology, like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of unavoidably true. Um, and then, but then your disagreements with presuppositional methodology, um, you're going to have some of those. I'm going to have probably different ones than you are for different reasons. Um, but the question then comes down to methodological considerations Um and and I usually think I've kind of shifted my thinking to presuppositional as kind of like a meta apologetic rather than an apologetic in itself. It's just you can kind of do it within that. I can give the Kalam argument. I can I can give resurrection arguments. I can give, a, but I do it within the framework where I'm I'm using those evidence not necessarily because I think a Matt Dillahunty is going to directly believe in it, but because I can use those to attack his worldview presuppositions, exactly what we're doing. We can talk about your, your, your worldview, the presuppositions and the axioms that you use to even evaluate the evidence. And I can show you, well, on your naturalism, you have this falsification problem. You're, you're actually more blind faith based uh, than any, than any Christian you would ever talk to. Because when you say like, well, you know, people always say like, well, you know, you can't falsify God. I'm like, of course you can. I can think of a hundred ways you could falsify my belief. Uh, if, if Michael Martin's project where he was trying to come up with all the contradictions with the nature of God, if he could prove one, like we'd wrap up and go home. Like if you could yeah, prove yeah. a contradiction, we'd be done. That's the way we always say to do it. And of course, that's how the best atheist arguments try to do it, is they try yeah. to point to like the problem, the, the logical problem of evil or the evidential argument from evil, which is more probabilistic both are trying to demonstrate one in a more simple way to frame the logical argument, but making a more serious challenge and the evidential argument in a, making a softer challenge, but a more serious claim uh, or, or more. No, it's more difficult to deal with the evidential argument is what I'm saying, but yeah. it's uh, it's, it's more likely to, to go through than the logical argument. But with either one of those, you're trying to show that, look, we've got these things about God's nature and if all of them are true, then then we shouldn't have evil. So there's a contradiction in God's na- nature, so defined by Christians, a certain type of Christian anyway, classical Christians. But but the thing about it is, um, it, if if you could do, you know, like you say, there's a, there's a number of ways. People often say, "Oh, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say produce the body of Jesus." Well, yeah, that would do it if you could. But I I get how difficult it is to even consider the possibility that. That that's, I mean, that would be a principle of falsification. But how are you going to accomplish that? And how are you going to convince the Christians that you that this really is the body of Jesus? And right. there'd always be a debate about that. I get that, and and maybe that's true of a lot of things. But you know, I like the one that says, "Hey, if you find a manuscript 
from one of the other disciples, close disciples of Jesus, saying these guys are making stuff up. They're running around saying X, Y, and Z. I was a part of it for a while, but we all know it's false. Here's why they were willing to be martyred. Here's, you know, okay, well, that that would do it too. I mean, or at least that would help. So, yeah, there are ways to falsify Christianity. Yeah, yeah, there there are all kinds of But you're making an interesting point. You're saying since we're happy to give you ways, even if those ways seem implausible to to happen we're giving you ways you're not even giving us a way you're saying you don't even know and you're saying tyler vela saying that is that that makes your position faith-based well i i would actually i my point is that i actually push that farther i think it's not only that matt says well i don't know what would falsify my view right that 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 is a that's you know that's a that's a cognitive question I actually think that the way that it's structured positively puts insulators from being falsified. So, so it's not merely, so there could be, you know, I could imagine a Christian that hasn't thought about these things that says, well, I mean, I don't know how you would falsify my belief, right? Because, because it could always be, uh, you know, divine mystery, God works in mysterious ways, right? Um, I, I could always fall back on, you know, even even if you produce the body of Jesus, well, you know, I could fall, always fall back on some like super liberal, like, well, it all has spiritual meaning. I could be I could become Shelby Spong. Right. So, there, there, you know, you always I don't know what would falsify my belief just because they haven't thought about, OK, well, there are these logical possibilities where you could just you could just demonstrate that God cannot exist. Um, that would falsify it. Right. They, maybe they haven't thought about it and said, I don't know that that's that's a that's a cognitive deficit. Right. So. I think that on with Matt Dillahunty and T Jump and everything, they've actually built up things that prevent. They're they're defensive. They prevent things. So it's not just that kind of cognitive deficit. It sets it up such that no evidence could actually falsify categorically, um, because you have this almost like hyperhumian uh, where where any um, natural explanation is just intrinsically more plausible. Um, and you have the, the, you know, the naturalistic appeal of the mystery where they could just at the end of the day say, well, I don't know, but science will figure it out one day. It's kind of this scientism. Which of the is gap. kind of, is kind of that. Now that's where T jump and, and Dillahunty are a little different, right? T jumps yeah. explanation. So Matt's explanation is it could be sufficiently advanced aliens or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, but T jumps position is, well, I've got this, this X out there. We'll call it naturalistic pantheism. Um, yeah. which he's been, he's been tackled for that terminology plenty of times, but let's just say yeah. you've got X out here. We're going to call that naturalistic pantheism. And what that is, is just, just natural, just some naturalistic principle out there and whatever you want to attribute to God, I'm just going to attribute to this, uh, impersonal law of the universe basically. Yeah. And then since, yeah, God, it, you know, our moral sense might be the result of God. But it might also be the result of an evil God, or it might be other results of any number of seemingly infinite. I don't think he would say actually infinite, but seemingly infinite number of ways that God could be and want things versus the naturalistic pantheism and the seemingly infinite number of ways it would land so that there just isn't no one comes out on top. And of course, it took me a while listening to him to understand. But I think what he what he's trying to say is it's not that that's what I think is actually going on. It's that. I'm saying that science could do what religion does. Science could just grab some principle and give it all of these capabilities and omnis and all those sorts of things. And, um, and that would, that would resolve it. Now, I think in your debate with him, 
you, if I remember correctly, it's been maybe a year or whatever, but I think you said something like, yeah, but, but your naturalistic pantheism is all ad hoc. You've just put that together to fit the data. Whereas the things that match the data from theism are things that theists have been saying for thousands of years. Is that basically how it went? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, 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 yeah, that a big part of my point was, well, the, I mean, theists have been believing in, in this type of God for thousands of years. Um, and so we already have this category, we already have this, this being, this, this category of a being with all of these attributes. And now as we've advanced and we come to all this understanding of the beginning of the universe and fine tuning, we come up with all these, arg- there's all these arguments and now we're getting into grounding, all that kind of stuff. Well, we, you know, we have the key that already seems to fit the lock. Right. I don't I don't have to go and adjust the key and I'm not going and cutting a new key to make it fit the lock. Right. Whereas that's what that's what T jump has to do. And he has to kind of ad hoc, make all these alterations. And really, at the end of the day, every single ad hoc alteration uh, is to make it more like God. Right. Yeah. So so at the end of the day, you have a be- you have a being you, you have an explanation, then this naturalistic pantheism or the flying spaghetti monster that's neither flying nor spaghetti nor monster. That's omnipotent, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, omnibenevolent, you know, uh, uh, transcendent, immaterial, spaceless. Time. I'm like, I mean, and then you start getting, in, you know, I, I've even pushed him in other areas, not in the debate where it's like, OK, then. You also have immutability, you know, issues that, that you have all the you actually get all these like other divine attributes. And in order to make that explanation fit, you have to ad hoc make it. And at the end of the day, I, I mean, cool, we could call it schmod if we want to, if you don't want to call it God. But it's an identical concept. You're, you're literally just saying that, OK, to compete with God, I have the fix it. And it's an identical concept to God. Well, and this is why, okay? and, I, and I know he's, he's not been happy about this. We've had personal conversations about it, but it's to me, I call that pinhole thinking because it's like mm-hmm. you've made, you've created this little pinhole way out. And of course his response to me about that has been, yeah, but, but that, but, but that's if I actually thought this was true. I, I don't actually think I need some little pinhole way of escape. I don't think either one of these work on the naturalist side or the theist side. It's just that we can do the same thing the theist does. Okay, but like you just said, you're saying, okay, the theists have an answer for this, but we can ma- we can do the same thing as that answer. Well, only if you create this little technically, there's a pinhole way that I can get there. And even then, I really still think there's a problem with uh, morality, love, um, teleology. These sorts of things seem to require a personality, a person, a personal yeah. God. And, and- I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. And in order to explain those, you would have to ad hoc and basically make it a personal, uh, an impersonal personal. Um, and I, you know, I agree with, even though you and I disagree on the nature of the human will, um, and, and I have some caveats on how I would, on how I think about the divine will, I agree with you um, and your argument that in order for, in order for God to create, you know, if you and William Lane Craig and, you know, it, it takes, it takes a free being with agency <laughs> as the explanation for why it started when it started and didn't start necessarily in eternity past if it was based on, you know, natural uh, necessity or something like that. So. Well, and you and I would also, now correct me if I'm wrong, because I really could be wrong here, but I think <laughs> not only do we agree that it has to be a free agent, a free personal agent, but even the type of freedom that it would need, because while I say source libertarianism is a thing, you just think that's describing compatibilism, I think. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, as long as as long as it's not a principled, it's not as an on a principled position that that freedom just is necessarily uh, incompatible with any type of determinism. Um, yeah, well, you know, like what I would say, it's soft thought, compatibilism. Yeah, well, what what I would say is um, is look, nothing external to God determined God's actions, and you would say that too. You would have to exactly because there's yep. nothing external to God, and you're fine saying that because at least for God in such a circumstance that would meet your definition of compatibilism. I think, Mm -hmm. whereas for me, it would still be libertarian. So even though you and I are calling it two different things and would argue about that, the fact is we think God had precisely the same kind of freedom. Yeah. We we would nuance it. That's a weird take. I never thought about. Yeah. We we nuance it. We we, we labels differently. We probably think it applies differently, you know, as it kind of trickles down to humanity. I mean, there's going to be some differences, but you're at the end of the day, we both think that God has the, the, the contracausal ability to have chosen to create or to not create. And he chose to create this world. Not another. I mean, we, that, that's all we, we agree with that. And I think that that actually is an, is an expo, is, is part of an explanation um, for. Oh, hold for up. That's we, different. You actually believe he has contracausal ability there. Yeah. We, okay. So would this you ever say well, yeah, real quick? <laughs> And if, yeah. and if it's a bigger conversation, we'll leave it. But it, would you say that God has libertarian freedom or would you still call that compatibilistic freedom? So the reason, let me, let me, I'm going to throw Tim Stratton a bone. I think God has what Tim Stratton calls limited liberty. Consistent with his will. Right. Or his so, nature. Um, I don't think that humans have libertarian freedom. Um, the only reason I'm uncomfortable calling it libertarian is because libertarian in the literature is libertarian incompatibilism, which means that it definitionally means that freedom is incompatible with any type of freedom sufficient for moral responsibility. I don't think that they are necessarily incompatible, so I'm not comfortable using that title for it when it comes to God. So I'm comfortable saying God has contracausal ability in some things. For example, I don't think God has contracausal ability to, to not love. This is why I don't find the, you know, True love requires libertarian. Yeah, because the Trinity has love God. within itself. Yeah. Um, but I think he has contracausal ability in he could have created this world or he could have created some other world and he could have not created it all and he you know all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing outside of him. It's not it's also weird to call it compatibilism because it's not that anything is determining what God does. It's just that whatever freedom God has it doesn't entail that freedom sufficient for responsibility or for praise and blameworthiness is contradictory to any type of determinism, right? That, that I just don't accept that principle. So I'm just uncomfortable with those terms. Even I think you just day, don't want to use libertarian because you don't want to throw us libertarians a bone. If you didn't tie it to incompatibilism, I'd be fine <laughs> with it. All right, cool. So anyway, so let's yeah. move on to a third character. We've talked a little bit about Dillahunty. We've talked about T-Jump. And we didn't plan any of this. This is just happening organically. But yep. uh, let's talk about Paul Ogia for a minute because I bet you haven't heard this one. But in his, I'm sorry, in Shannon Q's response to my 10 questions video, 10 questions for atheists, Paul Ogia jumped on because he was there at her place. And so he gave his answer to what would convince him. And it was a little different. He said, did you hear him give this answer? I I listened to the show, but I I don't remember. his. Okay. He said something like, um, he said, okay, so I used to just say what Dillahunty says. But then I realized that um, if God knew what it would take to convince me, and he hasn't done it. Well, we're obviously talking about some sort of a personal experience. 
But yet Dillahunty and all other atheists have all already said, and I think you pointed this out earlier, that personal experience shouldn't necessarily be something that's convincing. I could be saying that wrong, but I think that's what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. Cause that could be any number of things he said. So here's, so here's my explanation. And he said, I think this is ironclad or something like that. He may not have said he thought it was ironclad, but he said something. He was really proud of this. And the notion yeah. is that God appears to you and God gives you the answer to a math equation that hasn't been solved yet. Something that you know you could not produce on your own. So, so, and maybe you could, but let's say you're not a math guy. I don't know if you are a math guy, but let's say you're not. And you, and there, and we know there are these equations that haven't been resolved yet. There are mathematicians who spend their whole career trying to resolve, resolve one equation. So let's imagine that God gave you the solution. Now, you know, that didn't come from you. That had to have come from outside of you. Therefore, that would convince Paulogia. Now, as I'm saying that to you, actually, I'm going to let you say whatever you think about that. I thought of a response to that. Um, yeah. What do you say? Well, I mean, a couple of things um, based on kind of what we've already said about some of those insulating. I, I mean, for Paulogia, that might be good, right? I don't, I don't know him that well. I've never actually interacted with him. Um, and he seems a lot nicer and more reasonable. You know, him and Shannon seem wonderful. They they they, they really are. seem like, nice people. They, they seem much more genuine. They seem, you know, the, to be able to give kind of con some concessions and think critically. From what I've seen, they're kind of able to, oh, that, yeah, that's a good point, right? So, I, you know, I, I've appreciated what I have seen of theirs, even though I disagree with most of it. My, my initial response, okay, I'll give, let me give my like cheeky response first. And then I'll give, <laughs> so my cheeky response is, well, they made a movie about that. Right. It would start John Travolta is called Phenomena. Right. And it wasn't as a brain tumor. So spoiler. Sorry. Anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, so, I mean, it, it, that doesn't that still doesn't get you to that. Like, that's not going to be something that's helpful to most online atheists. Right. So and, and so that's kind of my, my cheeky response. My, my actual response, which actually isn't that much different, is still why would in kind of the parlance of online atheism, why would you appeal to an invisible sky daddy, God done it, as an explanation, rather than why wouldn't it be a sufficiently advanced, you know, species of aliens who are trying to help humanity advance, right? Right. Why, why, why isn't, why isn't this, what's that movie where that, that came out recently with Amy Adams and she had the, like decipher the circle language, the coming. Oh, yeah. Um, aliens. Right? Why, why, why isn't it or the arrival? Why isn't it? Arrival. Why isn't it that? Why 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 isn't it, you know, why isn't it I'm I'm you know there 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 are accounts of people who who you know become savants in something apparently randomly um on certain they just have a flash of inspiration. Why isn't it something like that? Why you know so so my my question for Paul would be how do you still connect the dots, right? And this is something that that I pointed out and, and then I'll stop and obviously let let you answer. But I pointed out to a lot of people is that when you actually try to connect the dots so if I if if I if I go back to my stars rearranging and there's a message and, they, and and you have a reasonable atheist who's like okay like if that level of evidence happened like let's just call a spade a spade I might in the philosophical vacuum chamber be able to be like well it could be you know trickster aliens but let's be honest if we saw that okay right and I'm gonna say okay but why why is it that way well because it's exceedingly rare right. Um, Okay, so it's exceedingly rare. So 
statistically, are, are you saying that if something is so statistically rare outside of the possibility of, of what we would consider a normal natural phenomenon, that that's evidence for God? Because that seems to be the answer. Well, then, yes. Okay, well, then you ha- you've now removed most of the objections to the fine-tuning arguments. Yeah, right. that's right. And, and, if, and if it's, okay, well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that the message is, 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 is sufficient, conveys sufficient information. Okay, well, the message, Yahweh, you know, Yahweh did this, repent and believe, is astronomically less complex, less specified, less information than contained in DNA. Now you've removed most of the objections that you have to, you know, specify complexity arguments. So whatever reason you would give to kind of connect the dots between the types of examples you and I would give to uh, that God is the best explanation are the exact dots that we would say these are other arguments connect those dots, those same dots. So if if you're going to allow it in one case and you're going to try to be reasonable enough and say, yeah, that's evidence, then you seemingly have no reason to reject this other type of evidence because it does the same thing. That's good. Well, you, you stumbled across the one that I thought of as I was telling it, which was that you could apply this to aliens too. You could, you could, aliens could know the answer to a, to a math equation that we don't know, you know, that that's, but yeah, all of that's really good. That's a good point about, because you're saying this is really rare and specific, like we say with the fine-tuning argument in the most literally astronomical terms imaginable. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, I think it's Roger Penrose who he 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 calculated something about like the um, the 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 probability that you know the in in the quantum world like just at a snap our universe or our galaxy would just rearrange. Right. And it was like one to the time, 10 to the power of the 80th, uh, you know, odds of that happening or something like that. And and it's like, okay, but there there are features of fine tuning that are like one to the power of 125 to the power of 120. Right. Like, yeah. So if it's just if it's just the uh, like there are better odds of our galaxy just instantly rearranging uh, than of of some of the features of fine tuning. Right. So it cannot be pure odds that you're objecting to. Otherwise, you accept that, that fine-tuning is good evidence. Well, let's go to some of the responses that people have given me to this kind of thing that we're saying right now. One response is to say, um, like, forget Paul Ogius thing. Let's just say, all right, fine. Yeah, it, we are saying that if you parted an ocean in Jesus' name or the stars spelled out, you know, God exists or the first... Uh, chapter of the Gospel of John or something. You know, we we we're get we're getting that that yeah, that wouldn't convince me. I'm an atheist. That wouldn't convince me because it could be sufficiently advanced technology. All sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So yeah, naturalistic explanations are, are always better. Hume was right. Blah blah blah. Okay, great. Now, um, that's not my fault, Tyler. You're the Christian apologist. Yes. It's not my fault that that's the way things are. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just, so I would point out a couple of things. Uh, first, I would say, especially in these cases, um, typically, not always, but typically, this is going to go hand in hand with the type of people who are like, well, the only way we know things is by science, hmm. right? Um, well, okay, I mean, science runs on a strong principle of falsification, Right. The, 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 the whole the whole project of science is that you're falsifying hypotheses to advance the, the, the to advance knowledge. Right. So if you're going to say 
um, that that is your that's your that's your epistemic position. Science is your epistemology, which I mean, all of us cringe when we hear that type of thing because we know that it's <laughs> that it's not right. I mean, people like Graham Oppie and and you know Osmandus Ramesses and all that they're 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 gonna they're gonna cringe at their own side. You know, I, I think you've talked to Ben Watkins before. They're they're all gonna be like guy like atheists stop saying nonsense like that. Yeah. Um, but like usually when when we're talking about these types of these types of falsification issues, we're talking about your typical online atheist, uh, you know, Matt Matt Dill Hunty and, and and those ones, right? So yeah, new. So atheists. I would say, okay, what's that? Internet new atheist. atheist types. New atheists, yeah. So um, and so so I would say, okay, well, how can you how can you consistently say science is your epistemology if if you're going to say, well, it it just is the way that it is that it's unfalsifiable. Right, you you have a you have a you have a kind of a methodological inconsistency there. Oh, that's um, good. To begin with, um, you're you're not you're not actually you're kind of being a hypocrite in, in epistemological hypocrite, not like a moral hypocrite, right? So um, there, there's a sense where where you're just flying in the face of your own standard. Um, the other thing that I would say is, well, it's not the way that it is, right? I I, I have no problem thinking, you know, understanding other types of explanation. Most of the world has no problem considering other types of explanation. Now, it doesn't mean that those other explanations are true. It just means that you you can't beg the question that your type of explanation is the only type that we can conceive of, right? Because most of us can conceive of other types of explanations just fine. Um, and so, you, right. you know, and, and let's go ahead. You're cutting off like... Um personal experience, which is our most obvious way, including mm -hmm. all of science is ultimately reducible to our taking things in through our sensory perceptors anyway. Uh, but you're taking personal experience off the table, philosophy, history, even some of the things like, like um, even some of the things that should fall within science, certain atheists, even if not all scientists want to remove because they don't meet certain uh, testability standards. For example, if we're talking about something historical, the his, the idea of historical science, for example, like saying, okay, we notice that when we dig down a few layers, there is all this ash everywhere. What accounts for that? Well, we have to do abductive reasoning inference to the best explanation. Well, one explanation would be that a bunch of, that a tribe lived here and they had a bunch of campfires, but that doesn't account for the fact that it's equally spread all throughout the region. So what accounts for that? Well, there's a volcano sitting there and that volcano was here at the time. So there's good reason to believe that it laid down this layer of eruption happened. Well, that's historical science. We can't we can't do anything now in a lab to demonstrate it. But but it's obviously the case and it's obviously science, right? But they cut off these yeah. other ways of knowing and you end up shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Well, and and that's a really good point that they actually the 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 way that they use science is really inconsistent. Right? So so I, I know you're a big a big advocate of the of the Kalam. I mean, how many times do you have the same atheist say, well, you know, arguments aren't evidence. You know, you can't appeal to philosophy. I need science, 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 right? Because they don't realize that that logic is math, right? So, um, but then they'll say things to try to defeat the, the Kalam. They'll say things like, well, you know, in the multiverse, when you have all these other, and you're like, okay, like, you know, scientific evidence of the multiverse. What you have is that the multiverse may explain some types of hypothetical formulas. That's the evidence for, right? Which is math. It's just logic. It's not like, yeah. like if I can give a cogent logical argument for something, that should be as weighty as giving a mathematical explanation for something that is, 
because it's not it's not it's not math in the sense of like the math that explains why my building is standing right we're we're not doing the same type of thing when they're doing mathematical equations to to figure out possibility of what 120 dimensions would be in this other multiverse right like that's not what they're doing yeah. um and i'm not saying i'm not saying it's bad right it could that could be true that's fine but it's as abstract <laughs> as giving valuative arguments uh would be so so it's if if they're going to say well you can't give i'm not going to be convinced by a logical argument but I'm going to pretend that this this inference from a hypothetical, you know, you know, explanation for a possible mathematical equation about hundred and something dimensions, that's going to be the defeater for your argument. I'm sorry, you're you're, you're but but we only accept science. No, you don't. Like, no, you just don't. Like, <laughs> just, just just be consistent. Yeah, and and uh, I'm actually fine with them do, building models that they think mm-hmm. would model a multiverse, because yeah. they're doing methodological naturalism. We want them to do methodological naturalism within science. Just yeah. don't ask us to have to believe according to your scientific principles. When most scientists don't, they're not metaphysical naturalists when they take off their glasses so what what's what's the big deal i yeah i don't i don't know it's it's really strange and where's the skepticism when it comes to multiverse where's the skepticism when it comes to some of these things because the level of of of, uh evidence that you require for these um you know these issues that you would call faith-based um you don't have that for the multiverse either you just have it's coherent our model seems coherent so that if it existed, it would work. Well, great. Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Middle Earth might be consistent. That doesn't mean Middle Earth exists, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, but look, <laughs> without being too snarky and having people, you know, throw things at their computer monitors and phones and stuff. Uh, I mean, the, the, the group that we're referring to is, is largely even the more respectable ones. Um it's hard sometimes to take them seriously as being consistently skeptical when something like Jesus mythicism is just rampant. Like, like it almost just becomes like a, like a, you know, a, a passe thing where it's like, even if they're not hardcore mythicists, they'll, they'll still kind of go in as a tagline of like, well, we don't actually, we don't actually know Jesus. existed." Right? You like, bring up like, a really good point, Tyler, because that's true. And I have a theory for that, and it's going to require me to psychologize just a little bit. But I think that what's going on there is just like in the Christian world, you might, you might, when you might not want to throw your fellow Christians under the bus because they are not a Calvinist or because they have a particular eschatological view or whatever. So you might say something nice about, about a particular view that you don't think there's any good reason to believe. Um, I think that there's something like that among atheists. I think that these online atheists, the new atheists, you get this with like uh, the philosophically, you know, the, the guys that are working on philosophy degrees and stuff like that that happen to have a YouTube channel. But among the YouTuber community, there does seem to be this this desire to want to distance among certain of them from the mythicist group, but at the same time throw them a bone and say, I mean, look, the, the notion, I don't really know for sure. Nobody really knows for sure. But the notion that there was a rabbi in the first century who blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, that's conceivable. Just say Jesus existed. The only reason you're right. not saying Jesus existed is you don't want to tick off part of the congregation. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't want to cut off, you know, three quarters of, of your audience. <laughs> yeah. 
Because most of the people who are going to subscribe to, to Matt Dillahunty are probably going to be enamored with something like Jesus, Jesus mysticism. Although I think, uh, well, anyways, um, ba- based on his the, one of the debate he had recently with, I think is Trent Doherty or something like that. I was like, mm, Matt's, I don't know. It's it's getting it's getting iffy on if you know how far he goes with it. But um, yeah, I, I mean th- that's that's the type of thing where it's like. I, I mean, I, like you, you had mentioned, I recently did uh, an episode just describing what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. Um, and for those who don't know, really, really quickly, the Dunning-Kruger effect is that it's, it's not simply that you're ignorant and wrong. It's that you are unskilled or untrained in the exact area where you would need to be trained to know that you're wrong, right? So uh, it's kind of this, this weird little catch-22. So I, I honestly think that Jesus mythicism is like the perfect example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Like it, and, and there's like eight metrics for how they normally identify it. And there's like allocentric claims and there's, uh, there's false peers and there, there's all these kinds of things that go into it. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's Jesus mythicism to a T. Um, and, and so, and, but I think they have this, this idea of like, well, anything that can get me to deny, anything that can be used to deny Christianity has got to be helpful. And if I can deny that like this, and if I can get to denying the main character didn't even exist, that's the best. Um, yeah. And so I think it turns into this little, like um, this little, not, I mean, not to harp on Jesus mythicism too long, but like it, it really turns into this like need to, to anything that, that, that falsifies um, what that is. And so they'll, they'll, you know, they'll just go, think, but there's, I mean, if, if you and I, if, if we went to their communities and we're like, okay, we believe X and X, whatever thesis it was, is so wildly unsupported, so underrepresented that literally not a single scholar in any of the peer reviewed literature, in any of the, in any of the fellowships, no one that teaches at university actually affirmed the view. And you can only think of two people that even have closely revel- relevant degrees even present the view and when they're in you know publishing they soften their view to get it past publication they would just laugh us out of the room right i mean if, if that if that was a position that we came into we're like we're gonna go to you know we got invited to the stage at skepticon and we're gonna give a talk and we're gonna defend that view and the only people we could go to were like you know crazies on the internet and it's just meme thinking they would just like throw they would throw garbage at us to get us out of there it'd be so bad um, but Jesus mythicism is like Jesus was Osiris. Like, okay. It's, so, it's anyway. really amazing. Uh, in fact, there was a recent debate between, I think it was godless engineer and, uh, the historian guy that goes sometimes on Pine Creek. But anyway, he, he's, he's, a I think he's studying to be a historian, but he's not a mythicist, but he is an atheist, I think. And godless engineer is an atheist and a mythicist. And they're, they're laying out all the evidence and, the historian guy is like, you do realize that like, we've got all these references to Jesus from the ancient literature here. And I only need one of them to be a reference to an actual historical Jesus. You need to find a way as a mythicist to explain away 100% of these. And if you fail on one point, I win. And I thought that's a good explanation of the situation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And there, and there are, you know, again, not all atheists are this way. You know, lots of really, 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 you know, solid atheists are not this way. I'm one of one of my favorite people on Jesus mythicism is Tim O'Neill, who's who's an atheist uh, historian, um, and he writes some of the most 
scathing. You know those reviews where it's just like a scathing review, but you're just like, it's so witty and brilliant. Like, it's just such a good takedown that you're like, man, I love this guy. Uh, he, yeah. he writes some of the best uh, criticisms of Richard Carrier and some of the Jesus mythicism and some of the kind of the conflict thesis type of revisionist history, you know, the, the, uh, the, the fire in the library of Alexandria and all those kinds of, all those kinds of stuff. He just, he just debunks all that like mythicist revisionist history stuff. He just a brilliant job of it. He has actually the webpage called history for atheists. Um, it's, well, it's, that's good. It's, I'll check that it's, out. It's, it's, and, it's really and another good. thing that's, that's amazing about it is some of these mythicists end up going against the atheist positions on say biblical prophecy. They'll say, no, 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 this, this was a clear prophecy. This thing in Isaiah or this thing over here, these are clear prophecies about Jesus. How could they be so perfect if they weren't prophecies? It's just that Jesus was made up to fit to fit the mold. Whereas you've got the rest of the atheists going, no, 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 there was a Jesus. It's just that these prophecies are way too ambiguous. They don't get you in. The, and the mythicists over here going, no, they do point to Jesus. It's just that Jesus isn't. It's just, it's crazy how, it, yeah. I mean, you've got to really you've got to really want that position to invest in what you have to give up. It, there's a high cost to taking that approach. Yeah. There, there, there is, there, there's, there's a, there's a big hit to your credibility. If you, if you become, a, if you become a mythicist to anybody who has, you know, opened a book on the top, like an, an actual like academic or peer reviewed, you know, type of type of book. Uh, you know, you're, if you're a Jesus mythicist, it, it you're, 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 your credibility is just, just gets hurt. And that's not, I'm not even saying that as a Christian apologist. Like, I mean, you have, you have, you know, Bart Ehrman and, and, you know, all kind all kinds of uh, critical scholars who are just like, it's just nonsense. Well, it, it's kind of like I've wanted to before, because a part of what I've wanted to do on our channel is produce some content that is for pastors, youth pastors, people like that to know what people are getting into when they, when they go search information on YouTube. And, um, you know, one of the things is I, I thought one day, and I'll never do this because it would be way too polemic, but like I thought for on both sides, like I'd like to make a video that is somewhat short, that's aimed at exposing those pastors, youth pastors, to, and, and anyone coming into the YouTube realm to do research say, look, you need to know something about both sides. On our side, we've got these people who are only interested in young earth creationism. That's all they care about. They're not interested in defending necessarily the resurrection. This is not saying this is true of all young earth creationists, but there are young right. earth creationists. Yeah. This is true of that. All they care about in earth debate. On the other hand, you've got these atheists who all they seem to care about is the mythicism debate and, and that whole thing. And it's like, you need to know that those people, when you come into this, this is not where the scholarship is. This is not how, how people you know are dealing with. And this is not, for us as Christians, the most important thing. The most important thing is whether or not Christianity is true and not whether or not you know the age of the earth. And on the other side, if you're running into people who are attacking the very existence of Jesus, you're talking about someone who you're you're not gonna really have much success convincing a lot of the time, and then on the other side of that, um, they're not the person you need to go to for your best information. I would say. Now I know that's gonna tick off some people. I've had a good relationship with Godless Engineer, and I know that's gonna tick him off because he's a mythicist. But I'm just calling it like I see it. Yeah, yeah. One one of the things that I always say is that you know if you if you want to educate yourself, um, 
don't don't do it by trying to get an associate degree from YouTube Community College, right? Like that that's that's not where you're going to educate. And I say that as a YouTuber, and and I say that as someone who appreciates lots of YouTube channels. There's lots of fantastic things here, but this is where you get I, the the way that I've started to think about my channel and and other channels is these are great areas to get exposed to the way people are thinking and talking about things. They're they're a good way to get exposure. But if it's not if it's not driving you to say, okay, that that's a really interesting topic, or that's really I want to now go read the good literature on it, right? You're using YouTube wrong. I mean, outside of when you're using it for entertainment purposes, if you're using it for for research purpose, you're using it wrong if it's just what you use, right? So, um, I, I mean, I, I like when I if it, I, I've listened to to your show, I've listened to a bunch of other shows, and I'm like, oh, like. You know, when when you reference a book, I, I bought a couple books based on you know some recommendations that you're you're the one who first you right. know turned me on to getting the 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 Oxford uh, handbook handbook on free will, right? So um, yeah, so I mean, there 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 there's if it doesn't drive you to say, okay, I want to now go read the best literature on this stuff. So if if a mythicist is listening to uh, you know a presentation from Gary Habermas or something, if his resort is, well, I'm going to go look up Jesus and Osiris. Right. And I'm going to watch whatever YouTube video. You're doing it wrong. Right. What you should be doing is saying, listening to him and he's referencing all these scholars. Okay. What are some of those? Can I go read, you know, Craig Keener? Can I go read Bart Ehrman? Can I go read, you know, Dan, Dan Wallace and some of his criticism of Bart? Can I go into the actual, the actual experts? And if I can't go, you know, I can't afford to go or I don't have time or whatever. It's not, it doesn't fit in the cards for me to go to university to study. We, we live in an age where you can like, I can literally log in. Uh, I, I just subscribed to it before we did this. I can log in and I can take a, a basically audit a class from Dan Wallace on Greek exegesis on YouTube, right? Like yeah. I can literally go and and most a lot of universities on you know Apple uh, or iTunes podcasts or, or or Apple University or whatever. Yeah, I can yeah. literally listen in and sit on all these lectures and I can hear the books that they're citing. And I, you can educate yourself completely for free doesn't mean you're going to be you know an expert in the field it doesn't mean you're going to get a job because of it but like you can stop saying dumb things like jesus is just a rehashed osiris yeah excellently excellently put you know what's first of all as a self-learner you can get their syllabuses their syllabi and Mm -hmm. read the books that they read i took several certificates from coursera uh last year in Mm -hmm. um in stuff to do with physics and learned a lot and if you pay 50 bucks for each one of those you can roll that into a degree at some places. So, but, but yeah, um, well, when I did the 10 questions video, one of the questions was, what are you, what are the last three books you've read on this topic? And everybody threw a fit. They were so angry that I would, you know, speak as though you need to read books and they rolled it into, I guess this is a common, uh, trope among apologists that I was unaware of that. Well, you're not, you're not allowed to be an atheist until you've read, these tents or whatever. All I want to know is, are you getting the best information? And several people showed me their books. Um, some of them were good books, but several people more than I thought actually argued, well, what's wrong with just getting your information on YouTube? Yeah, I get all my information on YouTube. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a perfectly fine, acceptable. Okay. Now you could get uh, NT Wright or somebody in here and give me a YouTube video that is far more scholarly and far more referenced 
than some people's dissertations. That's totally conceivable. There's nothing yeah. preventing that from happening. But the reality is, in general, in my work and everybody else's work, it seems to be that this is, like you said, kind of the the sample platter for you to go go further later, right? Yeah. But yeah, I was I, amazed I, I, at how I, many I, people were just like, were just like, why can't I just do YouTube videos? Well, you're right. not going to get the best stuff from the YouTube videos. Yeah, not only well. I mean, it's this weird kind of anti-intellectualism because I asked the exact same question and, and it's not necessarily even to find out what the, I'll flat out say it. it. A lot of times it's for polemical reasons. I'm trying to create cognitive dissonance to show you are being wildly dogmatic and you have not done a lick of research, right? You would, again, you would not allow, you know, an IFB young earth creationist KJV only person to come and talk about evolution. Cause all they, all they did was watch a Ken Ham video. They would never allow that. They would be like, well, you haven't read, you know, Richard Dawkins and you haven't read, you know, you haven't read. I mean, okay, all we're doing is saying before you make these asinine, wildly dogmatic, way overconfident assertions, which anyone who's cracked open any of the academic literature knows is just obscenely, even sometimes when they say things that are true, that are true, and I agree with them, like, oh, that's like obscenely unnuanced, like, oh, don't do that. And I do that. On, I do that on our own side. I, I know you, you've mentioned times where you've watched Christian apologists and just kind sure. of like wince sometimes, um, yeah. you know, often, not sometimes often. So, you know, it had go read some books and, and you mentioned N.T. Wright. I actually, I really like N.T. Wright. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but I, well, on some things I, I really like N.T. Wright. I can tell you, even though N.T. Wright in some of his stuff is going to be more academic than a lot of stuff you're going to get online it still would not be the same as what you're going to get if you actually read N.T. Wright, where he's engaging with his critics, he's doing, he's doing actual criticism, he's doing point-counterpoint, he's evaluating assumptions, he's giving footnotes, because in the video, he's trying to get, like, if he does an interview on the resurrection of the Son of God, he's trying to get that 800-page book into 30 minutes. All he's doing is pulling out a couple key points, presenting his big thesis, and that's all you're getting. So even though it's way more academically nuanced, it's still not even remotely close to what you get if you read the book by the same person that you're watching the video. of. Yeah, because what we're used to doing is, and this is not the way it is with ac- with good academic literature. So like Tony Robbins has a new book out, right? There's going to be two or three good points in that book for the people that like his material. The rest of it is just filler because we got to publish a book. With academic literature, it's completely the opposite. It's I'm giving yes. you a couple of what I think are good points, but th- but this but those couple of points are a part of a much bigger case. And you have to read the whole book to really get that case. So you yeah. so I think a lot of people think I've done that with other books. Like I've, there's a couple of good points, so this YouTube video can boil it down. That's not necessarily the way it is with other stuff. Now yeah. I think there are some academic books, like for example, I I reference uh, Richard Bauckham's Jesus. Um, and the eyewitnesses quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I think I could boil you down for you the key points of that book pretty quickly. But even there, there's all this supporting data that's in the book that you need to have access yeah. to to overwhelm you with how good the support is. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know to to come back to Jesus myths. I mean, and that and that one person you heard where they're like, look, you have to you have to falsify all of this. <laughs> I just need one to be true. If you read through like Jesus and the eyewitnesses, which is 
it really is probably one of the, the best books. Like every Christian should read. It's not easy. Oh my goodness, it's boring as all get out sometimes. I mean, when he goes through his sec- like his section on anomasiology, the, the, the study of names and statistical stuff, yeah. is probably the strongest point of the book. But oh my gosh, it's the most boring part of the book, right? But yeah, you because you know what? Yeah, I don't mean to it. cut you off, Tyler, but when I do that, the way I read books is I walk around my office so I get my steps in. And I turn on the electronic voice in my phone to read it to me. And then if I hear something that triggers me, I stop and make a note. And so when I got to the name section, I thought, I'm going to sit down here in this chair for a minute and let it go through these names. And I fell asleep because that's yeah. how it is. It's it's like 30 pages of just statistical stuff on names. Like it wildly, wildly boring, super fascinating, and probably one of his strongest points. And for the mythicist, and he made like, I mean, he had a lot of really good stuff. Then this is what I have to go through and like defeat all of that, right? I mean, it's not just like little, little thing, right? And that's just one chapter, one very long chapter in one book, right? It's, it's, they have to do that for, for so many things, but they wouldn't know that unless they read the book, right? Yeah. No, no one who hasn't read Jesus and the eyewitnesses knows what we're talking about. Yeah, because anomasiology, right. even though it's one of his strongest points, I think in the book, shows up on almost no YouTube videos. Yeah. Um. So, so it, it's just you, you got to read some of the. For what he's when, what when, he's talking I'm about is there's when, when, go, there's been research. Saying, I'm going to tell you, audience, when you when you reference Jesus and the eyewitnesses, your audience should go and buy the book, yeah. and read the book. Whenever Braxton recommends a book, if if I haven't read it, it's on a <laughs> list somewhere because I, well, I appreciate that. that you recommend great. Book like the, all the ones that you recommend, and I've read it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a fantastic. Like that's a really. Well, I appreciate that. That that means book, a lot. So. It really does. Yeah. But yeah, what he's talking about is they've done the study that someone, I think, some woman at Jerusalem University or something, did the study to discover the most common names and how often they're used in the ancient world, and the Bible matches it perfectly. What we'd expect. Yeah. Well, it's not even in the ancient world. It it was it was so detailed. It was the statistical derivation of names. In, in Palestine, in North Africa, in Rome, in the first half of the first century, in the second half of the first century, in the second century, like all this kind of stuff. And you can see the statistical derivations and the names of the New Testament fit exactly with the name, with the statistical derivations in Palestine in the middle of the first century, exactly how you'd expect them to find them. And so, and so Baca's point is, look, if you have someone who's writing these things, even at the end of the first century, if they're inventing people, they are going, and we see this in other forgeries, right? We, you, you see this happening in other, in other forged documents and other late documents, you know, in, in false gospels at the end of the second century, you see this, they're using names from their context because guess what? Second century, you know, uh, Gnostics in North Africa don't know the statistical derivation of names in first century Palestine. They're using names as they understand them in their context, and they're different. Um, and the Gospels don't have that. The Gospels match exactly that period about which they're writing about. Um, so yeah, because it, think about it just in your powerful. lifetime. If you're, say, 30 years old or older, the old men, when you were a kid, you didn't have guys named Chad walking around. Yeah. <laughs> but now you do. Because the names change, right? That's why there's a baby book every year that tells you popular baby names. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Th- th- this is why you don't meet a lot of a lot of women these days named like Olga or or, <laughs> or, or things like that. Or like it's just 
I mean, within within if you think about what people were named 50, 60, 70 years ago, I would have a hard time, even in an advanced society where I, have, I would have a really hard time if I was writing a fictional account of something that happened in a different part, not only just in a different part of, of, uh, of the, my same country, in a different country, right? Because a lot of the Gnostics came out of North Africa, in a different country, matching the statistical derivations of names a hundred years ago in that context. You'd have to look at it. You'd have to, if you and I were doing it right now, we'd have to look up on the internet. What were the common names at that time? And even if we researched it, we might still not get the derivations. Right, That's right. right, right? The, 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 the frequency of these names. There's a reason why there's like four or five Marys in the gospel, right? There's a reason why everyone's name, by the way, all the Jameses, you know this, but there's a reason why everyone's name is Jacob or Joseph, yeah. right? There, there's but, a reason for them. But, it, but if I was making it up, I would make sure it was all nice and separate and everybody's got yeah. their different names, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's okay. So let me ask you something. So anything else you want to say on the issue at hand, falsification and atheist epistemology? Um, the only thing that, that I, that I would say, and this is, um, it's kind of a tangent, but it's related uh, and it'd be fun to hear your thoughts on it is that I, I usually come up with like a thought experiment um and it's it's i call it the, it's a problem of heaven but it's not like the problem of heaven when it comes to like freedom or anything like that so the atheists that we're talking about typically will say things like atheism is not a belief it's a lack of belief and they'll contrast belief from knowledge right so right because they'll, they'll say well knowledge you know is is i, I actually have evidence for belief is basically the same thing as opinion so and I, an and agnostic atheist atheist is the belief atheist, agnostic right? is the knowledge yeah. So, so I normally kind of, okay, like if that's the case, if that's what evidence means to you and that's what belief means to you, that seems to entail two things. One, the types of Christians who claim to have knowledge that they exist now lack a belief because knowledge isn't a belief. And so now they're atheists because they claim to know that God exists. And two, if Jesus returns today at midnight, and now we all have all the empirical evidence in the world that Jesus exists. We now all have knowledge and none of us have a belief anymore because we all have certain knowledge now, which <laughs> means that everyone in heaven are going to be atheists. Because they um, don't they, have a belief. Because they have evidence. They lack so a belief. Know. They know. Yep. Yeah. So evidence. you're going with you're going with the atheists that's, that don't treat belief or knowledge as a subset of belief, I guess. Which, which tends to be, I find, go hand in hand with the ones who have these weird evidentiary standards of, well, <laughs> n you know, not basically any, any, any evidence couldn't count for it because it could be, you know, I don't have any empirical evidence for it, right? Yeah. Those two things go to hand. So, so sometimes I like to point out, again, it's not necessarily they're not going to fall for it, but they're not going to like fall into that. But I mean, a lot of times I'll find that an entailment of the same thing just is that not only is your view unfalsifiable, but now even kind of your your lexical range of what things mean becomes <laughs> almost meaningless. We're now Christians and everyone spending eternity with God are now also atheists. Um, so <laughs> because there, kind of because what you're so, so let me see. So like because I want to see that I'm following this because like I have run into people who would say, well, I don't believe things that I know. So it's like, yeah. okay, so you, so do, do, so is evolution true? Yes, evolution is true. Okay, so you don't believe in evolution. 
but evo- but you yep. know that evolution is true. Right. So you don't believe in evolution. So we're talking to here who doesn't believe in evolution, but he does have it as a object of knowledge. And you're saying that if we're doing that, then in heaven, you will know that God exists, but you'll be an atheist. Because you'll lack a belief. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, yeah. I mean, th- this is that, the, the most famous person that, that, that I, I know succumbs to this is someone like Aaron Ra. Right. And, yeah. and you know how many followers he has. I mean, th- th- that's his view. If you if you ask him, do you believe in evolution? Well, no, I mean, we don't we don't believe things. We have evidence and we come to conclusions and we have scientific knowledge. Right. That, I mean, that's gonna, that's his big shtick. That's his thing. Um, and so, you know, some someone like an Aaron Rod, this is going to be a problem for. Um, and, and so I pointed out, not only do you have conceptual problems with falsification, you now also mean that the way we even talk about it becomes almost impossible to talk about it because now terms are so wide that they don't, they're not, they don't even identify anything anymore. That's great. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I want to ask you one more question and then we'll go ahead and go. We've been at it for an hour and 16 minutes. So, um, so here's a question. I haven't done a lot of interviews. You're one of the first, really. I've done some, but it's been a while and I kind of want to start doing more interviews and I kind of want to ask this question to Christian apologists that come on here. Because I've had some people ask me this, and I thought, that's a pretty good question. So, And maybe you can't relate to this. I, maybe Calvinists think about things differently. But like, whenever I, people have asked me this, whenever I have experienced worldview doubt, not doubt about my salvation, not doctrinal doubt, but worldview, like, is Christianity true? There's a couple of things that I immediately go to, a couple of evidential things. Now, obviously, I have the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, but in times where I'm feeling particularly skeptical about everything, the, th- these are the two or three things I go to. I go to the Kalam, near-death experiences, believe it or not, and the case for the resurrection. Um, th- those three things are like an immediate like, oh, well, yeah, obviously Christianity is true. So what, what is it in your, in your world, if you ever have moments like that or have had in the past, where it's like, I don't even know if it's true anymore, what yeah. couple of evidential things might be a part of that thought process? Yeah, yeah. and you're being you're being very very kind. Uh, <laughs> as I, I, I mean, I, I don't I don't hide it. I'm not I'm not shy about it. I, I mean, I've come to you when I have had severe <laughs> intellectual doubt about about certain things. So you're being very kind, you know, uh, in, in not trying to, to out that. But I, yeah. I don't hide it. I mean, I, I'm you know, I, I think that we should be open. Um, talking about that kind of things. And, and some of the things that I talked to you during some of those that, that time for me um, is that it's really, I, I think it's very important. And it was something that sustained me was um, to not try to do theology in, in the hurricane, right? Like while you're trying to do that, that's not the time to try to develop your theology and to come to conclusions because likely there are other factors that are going into it, other emotional and, and what do you uh, mean when you say hurricane for the audience? If you're, if you're going through kind of a period of life, that's really hard, really challenging. You're suffering lots of doubts, all that kind of stuff. You're kind of in that hurricane. You're kind of in that chaotic state where you're just like, Oh my gosh, like everything's up for grabs. And I'm not sure what, you know, I, I have lots of doubts and all that kind of stuff. That probably isn't the time to try to develop or, or do theology. Right. Um, so, and I'm not saying you aren't saying this by asking what arguments. I think you would give similar advice, um, which is um, go back to the scriptures, spend time in prayer, go back to some of those basic Christian disciplines um, to, that that are that are grounding um, for you. That would be my first kind of 
advice to someone would be, okay, you know, stop the bleeding That's great. Um, by going, by going back to the blood basically. Right. So That's good. Um, that, That's good. that would be my first, my first recommendation when it comes to, when it comes to kind of intellectually, what are some of the stop gaps? Um, uh, I think that for, for me, again, uh, as a presupposition, I think going back and, and considering, well, I mean, let, let's let me let me walk back through if I take God out of the equation. Could like I, I basically put myself back in the skeptical seat and I say, OK, could could I ground morality? Could I ground logic? Could I ground why there's something rather than nothing? Could I ground, you know, fine tuning? Could I could I even do I even find it? remotely plausible any of these other explanations um and i've just found that the answer is no i i i i just i don't i don't think there really are any good competing uh candidates for those things and so it it, it does ground me and remind me back again well i mean the god you serve is the is the necessary precondition for for all of these things you couldn't even be you couldn't even be experiencing your doubts and trying to reason about it <laughs> unless Unless God exists, right? So I almost do kind of a transcendental critique of myself. Um, so it's kind of a transcendental uh, approach, but yet um, it encompasses almost everything we build theistic and arguments on and resurrection yeah. and all that, which is basically if I take it out, nothing works. Yeah. If, if I take that out, everything works. Yeah. And I take it. And then, and you know, some of my struggles that I've had for, for some time were, okay, like, okay, well, maybe I remain a deist, Right all that kind of stuff. And then I, and then I think through and I say, okay, but if I take the resurrection out, like, does that make, like, would that God make sense? Would that, would, would the deist God make sense where he wants to ground morality and, you know, a deist God is still omniscient. He still knows all these things. He's still, you know, good. Um, so there would still be this problem of sin. Do I really think that, that God would do nothing about that? Right. It, it still doesn't, it, so if you take the resurrection out, it still doesn't, it still doesn't fit. It still doesn't work. Um, so See, that's a uh, thing so, that I like. That's a thing that, um, that I've said before. I said it recently on an episode. I don't remember where or why, but like, if you just believe in God, if you just believe in God, which guess what atheists, there's tons of people who aren't Christians who believe in God. And mm-hmm. if you just have God, then that alone, now this isn't like a slam dunk deductive case, but that alone is enough to say, okay, it seems like that God gave us this inclination about more about justice, that that certain that certain justice like that there needs to be justice brought to Osama bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, and people like that. Well, that that justice isn't always brought for the abused or the abuser in this life. So that God would have us have an afterlife where that. God, I mean, just from there being a God, to me, you can kind of get there. Maybe yeah, not with certainty. I agree. Yeah, not with certainty. And, you, and you're not going to get everything. You're not going to get, you know, fully orb New Testament Christianity or anything like that. But you you the the resurrection again, it's like the, it's like the key that opens the lock. You if, if you have if you have just deism, there's this lock that it's like, OK. If that's the case, though, heaven seems to be locked for everybody. Right. It It, it seems that none of us would get in. So if we're talking about deism, which is basically, you know, Yahweh minus Christianity, you, you you have this problem of well why would God create this creation and and put all these people here and all that kind of stuff for everyone to be locked out of heaven right Jesus seems to be the key that opens that lock um, to to allow uh, you know it, it, you know any type of relationship with that with that being or any type of or any type of goodness or justice or you know anything like that 
And I know you, you and I have talked about this before too, but for me, again, talking about me, what, where's my mind go in moments of doubt? Here's another one that is just like the most simple apologetic ever. And I think it's not as strong as some of these others because it's not framed to be as strong, but it just kind of makes sense to me abductively to think, okay, if there is a God and he gave us, so we talked about the sense of justice. He gave us a sense of morality. Well, you know, um, wouldn't, and, and we, for relationship, we seem to be all about relationship. Wouldn't he want to communicate with us? Well, if I look at the three biggest monotheistic religions on offer, smack in the middle is a guy who never wrote anything down, never traveled far from his home, and yet he is literally, of all mankind, he is the center of human history. That yeah. is pretty powerful. Oh, and everybody says about him that that's what he's God communicating with us. Right. So it just, it's, it just it works for me. I, I don't know. I understand yeah. how I sound to people who don't buy it, that's one thing I wish atheists would understand is that people like me and Tyler, we watch the same movies, we hear the same music, we live in the same world, we know how it sounds to you. Just right. just consider that in spite of that, we actually still think these things work. Yeah. And, and, and if I could add actually one more and, and do a yeah. plug for a children's book. Um, there there was, I, I have found actually this this one children's book has probably ministered to me more than any other book I've read outside of the Bible. Um, I, I mean, it, it was, it was, it was one of those things where I like, I'm sitting there like crying while I'm reading this, this, like for the first time reading to my boys. And I'm like, why am I crying over a children's book? Like, I'm not a crier. Like, why is this so like, I won't tell the whole plot of the story, but the book is called the moon is always round. Um, and the, 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 the point of the book without ruining the story is that the moon is always round, even if you can't see all of it. Right. So uh, it doesn't matter if it's a full moon. It doesn't matter if it's a half moon. It doesn't matter if it's a little sliver. It doesn't matter if it's an eclipse. Like the moon itself is always round, no matter how much of it I can see. Um, and the whole point of it is that God is always good, no matter how much of it I can see, right? No matter how much I, I can, I can understand his reasons, no matter how much I understand his purposes, I can understand that God is always good, uh, even in the face of tragedy where I'm not seeing all of it, where his goodness may be covered by, by human history or events. And, and to steal from Tim Keller, if, if you understand what Jesus was doing on the cross and the resurrection, that's, it's, it's honestly like one of the best books. Uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal. And there's a little children's catechism at the end, which is fantastic. But to steal from Tim Keller, if you understand what happened in the resurrection, whatever reason there is for evil and suffering that God allows, it cannot be because God doesn't love you because the, the, the whole point of the cross and the resurrection is God's love for us in him shed on the cross. So whatever other reasons as a Christian, you might be struggling with to understand it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God is punishing you. It's, you know, if you understand it through the cross and understanding what that, what that means for us and what we have in, in, in new life and resurrection that is going to tell you that even if you don't know what God is doing in Christ, there still is love and reason and purpose. And God really does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according Amen. to his purpose. So yeah, so fantastic good. book. Really, really good. Well, listen, Tyler, I know you got to get to work here before long. Um, and we appreciate you inviting us into your kitchen. I see the Titanic up there, uh, over yeah, your head, yeah, the, the Titanic and the, and the queen, uh, the, the Queen Anne, Queen Anne's Revenge. I just assumed that was the Black Pearl. 
<laughs> no, Blackbeard ship. Well, cool. Well, listen, it's been a long time. I should have had you on here a long time ago, Tyler, because we've been years and uh, I'm glad we finally got you on. We'll have to get you on with Pritchett sometime. But thanks for showing up and sharing with us a little bit about the problems with falsification when it comes to atheist epistemology. Um, I, I honestly think, honestly, if I'm a, if I'm an atheist out there, this is a problem. I, I think this is a problem because the thing is, many people think, well, if you're an agnostic, it's only atheists and theists who have a burden of proof. Agnostics don't have a burden of proof because we're not making any claims. You are making a claim. You're making a claim that the best position for you is not is 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 where you're at right now as an agnostic, that these arguments fail. That's the claim you're making. So if you're making the claim that these arguments fail, you have a burden of proof is to show us how these arguments fail. And just saying I'm not convinced doesn't do it. Um, anyway, this has been fun. Anything to say on the way out, Tyler? Uh, no, I, I really appreciate uh, you having me on. It's been it's been really enjoyable. Glad to, glad to be here. And we'll link Tyler's uh, channel and podcast and everything in the description. So just go ahead and check down there and you can keep going with Tyler at this very moment. You're not allowed to become a Calvinist. Uh, Tyler, this has been great. And we'll see you next time on Trinity right, Radio. Good.